Blog Talk Radio. Come back home, 
Eshu Alegwana Kosi Wari Awo Omo Uto Ni Iwo Ada Afan Bo Osi O Batalami Itani Ebo Emilio Abani Shu Eshu is the respected elder who flogs, confronts, uncovers fools. That one burst in mysteries uses truth to own you. He causes scatter to be poverty. Obatala shakes rascals to have sacrifice. The owner of warnings is the one who is Eshu, Aboru, Aboye, Aboshise, Ashe. May our Ebo reach a room. May our Ebo be accepted. May our Ebo allow what we desire to come to pass. And so we say, Ashe, Asheo. Divine, all blessed greetings and salutations this Monday, May 2nd. 2022. You are now sitting live with the Divine Prince, Voodoo Thai, Pan-African spiritualist, practitioner, author, and advisor, Elagun Oloye Hudu Obeya Bokur, sharing with you in all things spiritual, mystical, metaphysical, cosmic, universal, evolutionary, revolutionary, healing, and holistic from a Pan-African Hudu world spiritualist perspective, understanding that all is truly and indeed a blessing. If you can just see beyond the veil, open your third eye, children. This is my constant prayer, my mantra, my affirmation, my reverberation, reiteration, and it is my ever-living reality, for indeed it is all just an illusion and a test. And, in, and one of the greatest divine mysteries of this life cycle. It is crucial to the foundation of my understanding, my teaching, my walk, my work along this divine, all-blessed life path and journey. And it is how I, the divine prince, make sense out of all that we're challenged with here in our daily existence on Mother Fatherhood. It is my personal place of power and understanding, the place from where I begin, the place from where I realize and crystallize all my endeavors, understanding that I and I alone create and co-create my divine destiny, and I and I alone create and co-create my divine all-blessed reality. And so it is, Ashe. Greetings this humble Monday Morning, Green Monday morning, May 2nd, 2022. I am emanating and vibrating with you and for you now live, virtually, verbally, cosmically, quantum universally from this working temple of the House of the Divine Prince, High Potions, Hoodoo Central, LLC, in this legendary, historic, beautiful, and most enchanted city in America, New Orleans, Louisiana the land of my ancestors and those who came before me along this spiritualist hoodoo obeya life path and journey, passing down this great obeya stick along with the knowledge of the life-giving herbs, roots, plants, rituals, spirits, minerals, and indeed the legacy, culture, and tradition of our sacred stories, our sacred stories. Please do now stop and like Follow, subscribe on all available platforms. 
and please share it with a friend, a friend of me, a family member. In your social media uh, posts, just please share, like, and subscribe. I certainly would appreciate it. All is a blessing. And before we move forward, understanding that, indeed, the creation of sacred space is critical to all that we do, all we are, who we are, and where we be in this most present moment in time space. So in the creation of sacred space, first is the breath. Remember to breathe before you pray, before you meditate, before you make a positive affirmation, before you speak. Before you say something that that you don't wish to crystallize as a part of your reality, always remember to breathe and then breathe again and breathe again, understanding that I am because my creators are. I am. I am. I am because my creators are all-powerful, open, and receptive to all that operates for my good, here and now in this most present moment in time space. I create and recreate the reality that mirrors my best interest. I create and recreate the reality that mirrors my best interest. I create, I create, say it with me, I create and recreate the reality that mirrors my best interest. And I am because my ancestors are. I am because my creators are all-powerful, all open and receptive to all that operates for my good, releasing and letting go of those things which impede my progress, understanding that this fire that dwells within consumes everything that's not needed, that's not wanted, that's not necessary for my journey. And so it consumes all but the truth. Learn to sit in the fire and be grateful in the fire. Be humble within the fire, understanding that you're being purified like black diamond. You're being purified like gold. We never lost connection to spirit, to the spirit realm, to our ancestors, to who we are. Don't believe the hype. Don't continue to believe the stories. It is not 1920. It is not 1940. It is not 1960. It is not 1980. It is not 2000. Indeed, it is 2022, and we are moving forward with new understanding. Same information, same facts, but new understanding, indeed, of who we are with new tools and technology to explore at a deeper level our reality. Understanding that spiritual knowledge and power is great to be spoken, to be spit, to be wrapped, to be harmonized, to be poeticized, to be reproduced but it must lie in its efficacy and its ability to produce and manifest powerful, reliable, tangible, lasting manifestation and results right here and now in this most present moment in time space. All else is vanity. All else is ego. All else is foolishness. 
or else it's an illusion. So I stand today as a result-oriented practitioner, results-oriented practitioner to produce and manifest powerful, reliable, tangible, lasting manifestation and results right here and now in this most present moment in time space. And so I am always humbled and grateful for those of you who meet me here in this shared, created sacred space at high noon U.S. Central Standard Time each and every weekday, as often as I'm able to be present. I'm certainly grateful for you, Shamafia and Chef Bougie, and, and of course your household. Greetings, Alexis Williams, one of my faithful godchildren. Martha Martinez, a great social media friend and, and connection. I'm certainly grateful for your longevity with hanging in there with me on my journey. Imani Sankofa, another longtime uh, social media connection, and, and I would say friend and associate. Sacred Love Lessons, Imani Sankofa, peace and blessings to you and yours. Another one of my godchildren and, of course, her family, the Goddess Initiative. Greetings and salutations, beloved. I'm certainly glad for you to be consistent and present here to help me to hold this sacred space down. For, indeed, we operate and we broadcast live, but certainly many, many more people receive the benefit of this production in archive. This production is shared in workspaces. This production is shared in homes. This production is shared in all sorts of modes of transportation. This production is shared globally, globally. And, and I'm not just calling out countries at the beginning of the show. I'm actually reading from my blog, Talk Radio Map. We have an international following. We have an international listening audience for which I am grateful. And, there are, and they're not all North American. They're not all north of the, of the, uh, of the hemispheric, not the hemispheric, of the equator. Uh, they're not all in the northern hemisphere. They're all over the globe. And I certainly am grateful for Australia and DR Congo and South Africa and, and, and the motherland and, and all her facets and fashions. Zambia, Egypt, for being present with us. And I invite you, please contact me, email me, communicate with me your show ideas, your show topics, your information, and I would certainly love to have you on as guest uh, at a future show. I want to share today, as I often do, because you know I'm an avid reader, researcher, uh, student, I am the student of a retired educator who's still in the mode of educating and, and, and ministering my beloved mother, Evangelist Savage. Uh, so it's second nature to me to wake up seeking, to wake up studying, to wake up researching and looking. And I often pull from the Yale National Initiative to strengthen teaching in, in public schools. Uh, if you don't know and are not aware, you are now. They have a whole archive, the Yale National Initiative to Strengthen Teaching in Public Schools, of uh, documents and um, curriculum, I should say, uh, that can be utilized in all facets of education. 
to share and, and teach and keep alive the tradition of African storytelling. Storytelling takes you on a journey that inspires you to learn about yourself and the world around you. It reflects social values in a culture that motivate people in their pursuit of a meaningful life. The oral tradition of storytelling makes it possible for a culture to pass knowledge, history, experiences from one generation to the next. And we know that griots, particularly in, in Senegambia, has become a more universal term that we use now for storytellers throughout the continent and in the Pan-African diaspora that sing and write and, and chant and speak our truth, our story. Many cultures in Africa have rituals of oral storytelling. Traditional storytelling in Africa reveals ideas, things, beliefs, and facts that are widely spread. It discloses conceptions that are unique to a tribe or ethnic group, a village, indeed a region. And according to Harold Corlander, tribes may be united with a mainstream of African traditions and yet have stories of their own heroes, mythological idols, and unique ancient origins and creation stories. Storytelling in Africa has been manifested in many ways and was used to serve many purposes. It was used to interpret the universe, resolve natural and physical phenomena, teach morals, maintain cultural values, pass on methods of survival, and to praise God. So what is storytelling? Storytelling is retelling a tale to one or more listeners through voice and gestures. It is not the same as reading a story aloud or reciting a piece from memory. The storyteller creates a series of mental imagery associated with the words. The audience stares, smiles, or leans forward to hear more of the story. And what is unique about storytelling in Africa? Storytelling in Africa provides entertainment, satisfies the curiosities of the African people, and teaches important lessons about everyday life. It is essentially a communal participatory experience, according to Jack Berry, in a storytelling setting where the storyteller and the audience interact, both parties have rights and obligations. Storytelling is shared events with people sitting together, listening and participating in accounts of past deeds, beliefs, taboos, and myths. Repetition of the language and rhythm are two important characteristics of oral storytelling in Africa. Storytellers repeat words, phrases, stanzas. The use of repetition makes the stories easy to understand and recall from memory. When the audience is familiar with the story, they actively participate as they learn important aspects of their culture. And so in the job of the reader, in an, in an ATR, traditional African religious perspective, your Mambos, Hogans, your Babalawo, your Ianifa, your, your readers who are using 
an ancient system of binary coded divination, we are often put in a position to remember a great volume of information. And so that is done, that is implanted, that is programmed by way of stories, music, rhythms, harmonies, chants. You know, our children respond to music. Our children respond to rhythm. That has been demonstrated uh, culturally, scientifically, uh, from the uh, academic uh, level uh, in many ways over the last 30 years, how uh, particularly children of color and, and, and humans respond to music, rhythm, harmony, vibration. So when the divinations are chanted in their original or aboriginal languages, uh, you're not just repeating a proverb, but there's also some rhythm taking place there. There's a harmony taking place there that's familiar to the eye and the ear of those who heard it before. And so it becomes a part of of who we be. Uh, There still to this day, though I'm no longer Christian and no longer sort of, you know, live the the quote-unquote Christian lifestyle, uh, there are still certain activities that I do even today that cause me to hear harmony, hear rhythm, to rem- remind me of, of, of old hymns and, and Negro spirituals that are caught up in the very DNA fabric of, of our body, that, that are caught up in, in, in our cellular vibratory structures. And so Africans are rooted in oral cultures and traditions, which the colonizers found uh, weird, uh, for lack of better words. Uh, it's not strange, uh, the lack of what they saw as written books and, and documented material um, and could not initially interpret harmonies, rhythms, patterns, symbolism practices and traditions as our very own uh, history books. And so our culture, Pan-African culture, is rooted in all cultures and traditions. Therefore, they have admired good stories and storytelling. And since ancient times, storytelling in the African culture has been a way of passing on traditions, codes of behavior, as well as maintaining social order. Writing had not been developed in ancient Africa, but there were ways for Africans to transmit their thoughts and their beliefs and feelings. Africans utilized various forms of art, myth, and ceremony. The tradition of African storytelling is one of the most ancient in African culture. Uh, We even now say, uh, 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 what is it where you speak and, 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 and then respond? Uh, there's a leader, and then, and then the choir or the congregation responds. Uh, we, we say something, and then there's a response to it. Uh, and, and it's the very coding rhythm of how we communicate information. Uh, if you will, please um, give me a moment. <laughs> I will return momentarily. I'm certainly grateful for you all being here with me and and being present, and I'm certainly uh, grateful for your time and your attention. So um, 
I'm going to ask that you give me uh, three minutes. Divine, all blessed. Thank you so much for your patience while I ran to the door. Um, yes, beloved, the Goddess Initiative, that is the Yale National Initiative to strengthen teaching in public schools. 
Yale National Initiative to strengthen teaching in public schools. And so there's an array of curriculum there that can be accessed and, and um, utilized. Um, continuing on, Emmanuel Payu contends that storytelling is an integral part of the cultural life of the African people in the Cameroon. Storytelling, like rhetoric, is the exercise of the mind. The words have great power. In Cameroon, folktales keep the community united. They help reserve the knowledge, wisdom, and techniques which are part of the society. The narration of the tales takes place at night after the evening meal. The oral folktale can be recited, sung, and adapted to various circumstances. Taboos in many cultures of this area prevent people from engaging in any serious work at night. Each tale retold enlightens the consciousness of the audiences. In the western region and south of Cameroon, nighttime gatherings provide an opportunity for the affairs of the land and the family to be discussed or planned. Problems are resolved through recourse for folktales. Matateu describes the important elements of the storytelling event. The folktales are divided into three sections, which include the opening formula, the body expository section, and the conclusive formula. The storytelling section begins with an opening formula. Next, there is an exchange of jokes and riddles. After engaging audience participation, the storytelling event sets in motion with a solemn beginning. After the opening formula, the storyteller starts the narration of the tale. The storyteller sets the scene, introduces the characters, and defines the conflict using all sorts of techniques. And in many areas in Cameroon, the people perform a real dramatic play. The storyteller sings, dances, shouts, and invites the audience to dance or sing. The storyteller uses a language full of images and symbolism. The performer imitates many characters in the story. And during the conclusive formula, the closure of the story is indicated by a moral or a final statement about an issue that was indicated in the body or expository section, expository section, Expository section, E-X-P-O, Expo, S-I-T-O-R-Y, Expository section. The order of the events illustrates the importance of structure as a literary quality of folktales. Storytelling has been a ritual for the people of Ghana in the evening after a hard day's work. Storytelling, the Anasi folktales. Anasi and Anasi folktales help the children grow up to be responsible members of the African society. The psychological intent of exposing the children's storytelling justifies the reason for telling folktales in Ghana. Anasi folktales are usually told creatively by adults. The audience includes family members, 
and children of the neighborhood. The serene nights and sitting around the fire set the tone for storytelling. The attention and enthusiastic response of the audience makes the stories interesting. And then the Amnesty folktales do not follow any sequential order. The stories are told subjectively once the description or theme of the story is described. The narration of the Anunnaki stories are accompanied with music, singing, drumming, percussion instruments, clapping, and dancing. And the proverbial songs are utilized to highlight the expression of the characters. The Anunnaki stories are intended to send a moral message to the audience, especially the children. And for, for those who are new to, to the concept, to the idea, to the word, Anunnaki made its way through the Middle Passage to the Americas as a great uh, spider deity. I actually have, you know, large spiders here in the house. Uh, those of you who've ever been in the house uh, know that, that represent and remind us of Anunnaki and the stories of, of this trickster spider. Insing uh, wingsy spider went up the water spout. Down came the rain and forced the spider out. We, we all kind of know that uh, as a Western kind of childish uh, anthem, if you will. Uh, but for us, it is indeed a memory and a reflection back to stories and songs and tales that we have ingrained, again, in our very DNA, in the very uh, cellular structures of our body and made its way to the Americas. The Burr Rabbit stories and folk tales um, have their root in uh, deities, which I will explain in, in a bit of a detail as we move forward. African films focus on social problems, personal concerns, and cultural issues. They offer the audience a glimpse of African concerns, tradition, and pride. The African cinema is an expression of cultural autonomy. The filmmakers give the films an ageless look and tone by often using rural landscapes and conventional characters. The filmmakers choose situations where they would not need artificial lighting because they didn't have sufficient technological materials or money. African films tend to be creations of intense stories, rich in emotion rather than spectacle and special effects. Uh, and again, they are rooted in the telling and retelling of stories that maintain our history, our culture, our practices, and indeed our traditions. Uh, greetings, Doc Soljua. Love my New Orleans, baby. New Orleans in the house. Come on in. Love it, love it. Certainly appreciate you and your consistent participation, uh, indeed, in the in the show. And so even today, we see Nollywood, Gollywood films in YouTube, um, natural lighting, not a whole lot of special effects, but indeed uh, a continuation of storytelling, uh, just with a little new technological investments to a sort of assist the process. The film Abuna, A-B-O-U-N-A, Abuna, directed by Mahatma 
Salah Koran. That's H-A-R-O-U-N. Mahatmat Salah Haram in 2002 is beautifully shot. The film provides a glimpse into a dusty village in Chad, one of my favorite countries. Uh, it is similar to many African productions in its visual and, and aerial style. It begins with a recognizable situation, the loss of a father, two boys, Tahir, and his asthmatic brother, Amini, wake up one morning to discover their father has disappeared. They sense something is wrong when their father fails to show up to referee their soccer game. The mother tells them that their father has left them. The, fo- the boys refuse to believe that their father is gone for good. And after the, after the boys cause problems for their mother, she sends them to a Quranic or Islamic school. And the boys encounter love, rebellion, self-determination, and separation. And the viewer will be surprised with the later plot development of Abuna. The film Kita, one of my favorite films, Kita, K-E-I-T-A, Kita, the Heritage of the Griot. Kita, the Heritage of the Griot, directed by Danny Kuyati, K. O-U-Y-A-T-E in 1994. It's based on the epic tale of uh, Sundiata Keita, Emperor of Mali, and the filmmaker skillfully moves the audience from one narrative strand to the next. The beautiful narration and the traditional music help to bridge these traditions, and this film allows you to view the griot style of narration. The film opens in a village in Burkina Faso. Jaliba, Jaliba, D-J-E-L-I-B-A, Jaliba, a West African griot, has a dream which makes him see that he must go to the city to initiate Mabo Keita, a young boy in the history of his heritage. And the Jaliba, Jaliba, wants to relate the epic of Sundiata to Mabo. And the epic recounts the life of Sundiata Keita, the king responsible for turning the land of Mandi into the great trading empire that we know as Mali. And Jiba Liba, the Jiba Liba, or Jiba Liba, moves in with Mabo and his family and begins telling the story of ancestry. The Sunjata epic Mabo is completely fascinated by the story and doesn't want to go to school. This results in a great deal of tension in the Kiata household. Mabo's mother becomes concerned about Jaliba's stories, distracting her son from schoolwork. Mabo's father feels that it is important to pass on the stories of the Kiata heritage. And the story of Sun of Sanjata, Sanjata and the Magnificent Empire is of great importance to the people of West Africa and indeed to the African diaspora. It provides them with a common identity. From this point on, the film moves back and forth between the mythological world of the story and the modern world of storytelling. Mabo's 
modern education conflicts with his desire to be educated by Jaleva or Dejiva or Deliva, D-J-E-L-I-B-A, Jaleva or Dejiva. His teacher visits the home and discusses his concerns with Jaleva. He feels that the griot teaching should discontinue until summer vacation. And the difficulties in the Kenyatta household prompted Jaliba to return to his village without completing his mission. And the film ends without story being completed. There's another film, the film Wind Cooney, Wind, W-E-N-D, Cooney, K-U-U-N-I, Wind Cooney, directed by Kasten Kabore. K-A-B-O-R-E, Kasten Gabore in 1983, a year before I graduated high school, adopts the rhythms of traditional African storytelling. It demonstrates Mossy, Mossy, I love the Mossy, M-O-S-S-I values, as it shows domestic themes of a village family. The daily routines of the family group consist of the father weaving, and the mother doing household chores, the daughter assisting with the cooking, and when Kuni taking care of the goats. And in the first scene of the movie, a mother is crying and decides to escape from a village with her child. And the next scene focuses on a traveler finding a body of a dehydrated young boy. The boy is mute and doesn't remember anything. The traveler picks him up and takes him to the nearest village. A Mossi village. The village leader agrees to rehydrate the boy and, and raise him up. And the village chief decides to send a search party to find the boy's parents. Tinga agrees to adopt the boy since they couldn't find his parents. And the boy is named Wind Kuni, God's gift. Wind Kuni has the job of herding the goats. And he makes friends with his stepsister. Pugneri, Pugneri, P-O-U-G-N-E-R-E, Pugneri. He is very content in his new home and his new life. And there's an argument between one of the village elders and his young wife. Tinga claims both of them, Tinga calms both of them down. And when Kuni left his knife in the field where the goats were gazing, when he goes later that night to retrieve the knife, he finds the village elder hanging from a tree branch. When Kuni instantly remembers the death of his mother after being chased out of the village, he begins to speak and screams for his mother. At the end of the film, when Kuni tells the story about his mother to his stepsister, Pugneri. He speaks about his sick mother being chased out of their village and ending up under a tree in the middle of the field. He talks about his mother's death and running for hours. He remembers falling to sleep and the traveler finding him dehydrated. And so the African storytellers are performers who entertain, inspire, but also educate their audiences. They know how to captivate the audience with more than just words. And the storyteller uses gestures, singing, facial expressions, and impersonations to arouse the audience. 
Barry asserts that there are good storytellers and very poor ones, too. The best at a scene of drama, careful timing, appropriate voices, and sustain a, a dynamic relationship with the audience. Experienced storytellers narrate the story using repetition, rhythm, imagery, proverbs, and similes. The use of repetition helps the audience remember the chorus and join in with the storyteller. Using short phrases makes the stories easier to understand and memorize. When the audience is familiar with the story, they actively participate. In some regions in Africa, there are professional storytellers. And in Cameroon, storytelling is not a professional activity. Although the people have potential to tell stories, they only develop excellence in the art of storytelling with time, age, and experience. The age and sex of the storytellers in Cameroon determine the type of tale that will be told. Women and children generally tell animal stories dealing with the faults of man. Men narrate tales dealing with uh, heroic characters, gods, and spirits. The storyteller uses the sense of foresight and insight to manipulate the audience and subject matter. Some would say pastors and ministers do a very similar formula of storytelling to manipulate the audience and the subject matter. And in the BT area of Cameroon, which is forest region, a forest teller usually tells his story standing in the middle of a scene to dominate his audience. He moves from side to side, pointing at or inviting a participant to perform an action or repeat a refrain. The storyteller comments on the behavior of a character and explains a social phenomenon or adds his expression to enhance the understanding of the plot. A successful storyteller is assessed by repetitions, rhythms, imagery, the use of proverbs and riddles, and, of course, similes, and familiar scenarios which resonate from our own personal experience and those of the captivated audience. I want to talk, as, as I said that I would, a little bit more about uh, griots. Greetings, uh, Nicole Tracy. Thank you so much, beloved, for joining us today in our conversation about griots and griots and, and storytelling. And the griots were originally counselors of the king, counselors to the royal family counselors. They conserved the constitution of kings by memory and worked alone. Noble family had an appointed griot to preserve traditions and tutor the prince. Although the griots of West African began from many ethnic and linguistic traditions, they considered their roots to be tied to the 13th century Malian Empire and its founder, Soniata, Keita, Keita, Sundiata Keita. The basic tale of griot origins was used to explain taboos associated with griots and why their caste is distinct from that of other West African villagers. 
the griot and female griot have a remarkable memory. I've discussed the ability of the Yoruba memory to contain 16 major proverbs. And then there are 256 probable combinations. And then at least, you know, a handful or more of the proverbs and stories and teachings that fall on the divination table along with the Odu. So the griots have remarkable memory and communicate the history of society and the great deeds of ancestors. They are prominent in many African societies, particularly West African societies. Griots in Mali, Niger, Senegal, Gambia fulfill a lot of roles. Their roles include historians, genealogists, musicians, advisors to nobility, storytellers, advocates, messengers, uh, ambassadors, and of course, praise singers, those who, who, who ritually drum up, if you will, praise and ritual and, and ceremony in those sacred times when we're invoking spirit. And so griots are respected and feared by people in West Africa because there is a spiritual and ethical dimension to their performance. And according to Joanna Lott, the griots can sing your praises but doom your death. They sing praise songs and tell stories that last for an extended period of time. But they could also predict and chant doom upon leaders and, and wicked rulers and those within the community that violated mores of the culture. The female griots usually play a lesser role. When a woman is married, a griot will sing to her to prepare her for her new life. West African women sing about a woman's role in society and their relationships with husbands and in-laws. And female griots also use songs to express their independence and self-reliance. The songs offer comfort, encouragement, empowerment to other women. And the griot profession is inherited and passed down from one generation to the next. The boys and the girls learn from their parents who are griots. They later attend formal griot schools and receive an apprenticeship with a master griot. And then the griots or the female griots have less freedom and time to attend formal griot schools because of family responsibility. And so the griots are rewarded for their services to individuals and the community. And the rewards vary depending on the griot's skill and popularity offerings, donations, uh, investments, if you will, are made to the griots. I promised that I would talk about the deities often uh, encapsulated in these stories. And traditional oral literary forms of African people have been woven out of the substance of human experience, struggles with the land and the elements, weather, 
movement and migrations, war between kingdoms, conflicts over pastures and watering holes, wrestling with the mysteries of existence and life and death. African folktales are one of the primary oral literary forms found among the African people. These tales reflect relationships among humans, man and woman, and humans in the animal world. They offer explanations of natural phenomena, teach morality, provide African people with a sense of identity, and are entertaining as well as instructive. And so the animal trickster tales are the favorites among folk tellers because they include an animal trickster with human habits, beliefs, and weaknesses like Ananasi, like Burr Rabbit. And these tales instill moral values in the people of the tribe in the community. Among the Yoruba trickster tales, pride comes with a great fall. Pride comes with a great fall. And the deer bragged about running faster than any animal at the meeting of all animals. And according to the deer, he could run over 26 miles. Although the tortoise accepted the challenge, he arranged for 13 of his family members to be stationed at every other mile. And at the beginning of the race, the deer teased the tortoise because he was behind him. As each of tortoise's family members shouted ahead of the deer, he ran more rapidly. The deer died of exhaustion two miles before the end of the race. And the folktale teaches African people that too much arrogance has severe consequences. The tricks of tales are found in many cultures in Africa. The Eshu, Legba. Tricks of tales use animals with human features to convey wisdom. Tricks of tales also use animals to help people understand human nature and, and human behavior. These tales played an important role within the cultures in which they are found. The animal tricks or tales are meant to be entertaining as well as instructive. Animals are used in different ways to portray human strength and weaknesses. Animals played a prominent role in African storytelling because African people live in close proximity with African, I'm sorry, with uh, wild animals that share their land. And in many of the tales, Africans attributed human feelings and desires to particular animals and derived ethical ideas from their behavior. Emmanuel Matateu contends that the animal tricksters invent what human nature thinks is impossible. The animal tricksters ease their passage through a treacherous world at the expense of more powerful opponents. They get into precarious situations that require them to use their craftiness to get out of the predicament. And the fact that they are similar, smaller, or weaker than their adversaries shows that weight is not important. It also shows that a strong person is not usually intelligent. Animal tricksters occur in tales from the West, East, Central, and Southern African communities. The animal tricksters differ from culture to culture. The hare, 
Burrabbit is the most prominent trickster among people of East, Central, and Southern Africa and made its way into the uh, transatlantic slave trade and into the lexicon of, of African-American storytelling. He's also important among the Jukai and the Angus of Nigeria. The tortoise is the trickster hero among the Yoruba, Edo, and Igbo of Nigeria. The spider is the animal trickster in Liberia, Sierra Leone, and the Gold Coast. Each culture has its own unique way of describing and utilizing its trickster. Animal tricksters have exceptional qualities, mental agility, and extraordinary capabilities. They are portrayed as lazy, greedy, talented, clever, and mischievous. They deceive friends and acquaintances and adversaries in pursuing their own selfish ends. And the storyteller's audience appreciates the wit that leads the animal trickster from one victory to another. So the telling of Ananasi, the spider deity story, dates back to ancient times. Ananasi, the spider, is one of the major trickster characters in West African folktales. The Ananasi folktales were originally told in Ghana uh, and other uh, closely related ethnic communities to Ghana. Ananasi is a Ghanaian name for spider. Ananasi is a complex character who can play a polarity of roles. And sometimes Ananasi is personified to bring the story to life. Ananasi plays human roles when his deeds are successful. In times of tragedy, especially when Ananasi is humiliated, he shows his true image as a real spider. Ananasi is characterized as clever, jealous, mischievous, and greedy. And his greedy, greediness, mischievous, and trickery cannot be outshined. The, the spider tales have traveled from Africa to the Caribbean, to the Americas. And sometimes the spelling has changed from A-N-A-N-S-E to A-N-A-S-I. There is always a lesson to be learned from Ananasi. And some of the Ananasi folktales include Ananasi and some strong animals, Ananasi and the cows, Ananasi the daring messenger, and Ananasi and the greedy lion. And in Ghana, trickster tale, Ananasi and the greedy, and the greedy lion, the lion was a bully to some of the smaller animals. He demanded that Ananasi hunt for him. And Ananasi suggested that they dig a long trench to trap the animals. And the lion told Ananasi to dig, to dig the trench by himself. Spider, you dig the trench by yourself. And Ananasi dug a trench and planted sharp stakes and poisonous thorns within the trench. And he covered the trench with light palm branches and dry leaves. And Ananasi told the lion to go to the other side of the forest to roar and scare the, the animals towards the trap. And many animals got trapped and killed in the trench. Ananasi and the lion had more meat than they could eat. And Ananasi was ordered by the lion to carry all the meat to the house. 
the lion didn't allow Ananasi to eat. Later, the lion ordered Ananasi to cook dinner for him. And although Ananasi was tired, angry, and hungry, he cooked for the lion. And Ananasi thought of a way to free himself from the lion. And Ananasi found a huge deer to cook for the lion. He smeared the deer with poison from a deadly plant. After after devouring the poison meat, the lion complained of a stomachache. The lion died of the poison meat, and Ananasi was free. And Ananasi and his family went to the trench daily to collect food. And such an interesting tale resonates with my ancestral memory. And I can imagine the retelling of Ananasi on the plantations, in these uh, oppressive environments, as a story of entertainment, but also a story of, of great inspiration. And and so Marunich would have been inspired by such a telling. Big Mom in, in, in the big house cooking massa meals would have been inspired by such a telling. So it's important that we not accept the notion, the idea that we somehow they don't know their language. They don't know their God. What did Erica Badu say? They take what's given to them, even though it feels odd. And so now that we have technology, now that we have global access to our community and can revive the storytelling, revive the tradition of storytelling, and create new stories for the new generation to subsequently carry forward so that hoodoo root work conjure obia ibu culture yoruba culture it's it's not lost a con culture is not lost there's the story of the ajapa the tortoise the yoruba find the tricks of folk tales appealing because they can comment on antisocial behavior and many children in yoruba are exposed to ajapa tales ajapa the tortoise is the animal trickster among the Yoruba of West Africa. Uh, he is the most frequent protagonist of Yoruba folktales. And, and again, those of you who visited House of the Divine Prince here in this beloved fog board, Treme, historic Treme, know that I keep a, a, a wood-carved tortoise as a part of my divination tools. It's carved in Haiti. For those of you who love Haitian voodoo, but it also has Islamic, Yoruba, and Akan symbolism carved within my magic tortoise. <laughs> and I keep some of my divination tools within the belly of the tortoise. A Joppa is portrayed as being so lazy that he will not work for a living. And in times of scarcity for food, he relies on trickery and the reluctant generosity of some friends to obtain food. And aside from being lazy and and greedy, a drop of the tortoise refuses to share with any of the animals. In the story, a drop and Inaki, the baboon, Inaki, I-N-A-K-I, the baboon, a drop reveals his... uh, uh, gratuitous defiance 
he manipulates Ukan, the leopard, Ukan, the leopard, to his own purpose. The tortoise also plays the role of the trickster in the folktales of the Kalabari in southern eastern Nigeria, where he is named Ikaki, I-K-A-K-I, Ikaki. In Cameroon, east of Nigeria, the tortoise is named Ikaga. So in Nigeria, southeastern Nigeria, Ikaki, I-K-A-K-I. Um, east of Nigeria, the tortoise is named Ikaga, E-K-A-G-A. And some of the Ajapa tales include Ajapa and the Kinyun, K-I-N-I-U-N, Ajapa and Kinyun, the king lion. Ajapa humbles Aaron, the elephant, Aaron, the elephant. And Japa, Aja, the dog, and the yams. Ajapa, Aja, the dog, and the yams. In many of the trickster tales, Ajapa's deeds are not successful. This is illustrated in the tale Ajapa, Aja the dog, and the yams. Ajapa, Aja, and their families faced starvation. Aja figured out a way to feed his family. He stole a few yams from the neighboring farmers. Aja made sure that he didn't take too many yams, just enough to feed his family. And Ajapa noticed that Aja's family was doing well. Ajapa wanted to know how Aja was able to keep his family so healthy and well. Aja finally took Ajapa to one of the farms. Ajapa was greedy and stole too many yams. Ajapa was caught and taken to the king. He told the king that Ajapa tricked him into picking the yams by saying he needed help on his farm. The king sent a messenger to Aja, the dog's house. Aja pretended that he was sick. His wife told the messenger that he had been in bed for three days. The messenger took Aja to see the king. After the king heard Aja's story, he exiled Ajapa from the community. And so it is important that we not only remember the stories, remember the songs, but remember the purpose of the stories and the songs and how they continue to feed culture, history, tradition within our various communities. And so even in our indigenous aboriginal environment, we had a diversity of families ethnic groups, if you will, communities. And so to today in the global Pan-African diaspora, in the global indigenous and aboriginal uh, uh, diaspora, we still have a, a, a collection of, of neighborhoods, communities, families with unique traditions, unique stories, unique ways of doing things. And so sort of the idea of battling that I remember coming online in 2005 and Yahoo 360 and MySpace and the Cubanos arguing with the 
Puerto Ricanos, arguing with the Brazilianos, arguing with the Americans, arguing with the blacks, arguing with the whites, just arguing about whose tradition was more accurate and whose tradition was more authentic and whose tradition was more pure. And, and even today, there are some, not all, and certainly not many, but some Cubans who believe Lukumi and, and, and Santeria are somehow a perfected demonstration of Yoruba culture and tradition, more so than Nago tradition itself. Nago meaning a, a way of expressing authentic Yoruba practice and, and culture in, in its indigenous environment. And so we say Nago as opposed to where were you initiated? Oh, that's Lukumi. We say Nago for those who initiate and, and, and ingrain themselves culturally from that West African perspective. And so we've sort of moved on from that 2000 uh, sort of arguing over the tradition to uh, 2010, where people started claiming initiation and started traveling. Uh, and of course, I'm often referencing how this shows up within our social media dynamic. Uh, and so people started traveling a little bit more, and, and uh, we saw more expat videos of uh, people leaving the UK, leaving uh, Europe, leaving the US, and moving to various parts of uh, Africa. And, and we still see that today. Um, familiar faces in Ghana and Cameroon and Senegal and, and Kenya and Egypt, you know, uh, living their experience. And so the stories continue to evolve. The stories continue to uh, gain access to what's authentic while creating stories that mirror our best image and who we are and who we are becoming today. So the telling of our story, when we all have devices and access to technology, are literally at our thumb, thumbs and our fingertips, the telling of our story, I believe, is more important than anything. In your posting, in your social media activity, be clear that you're telling your story and that you're sharing your story. I know many of you, you know, block access to your mom and them in your social media because you're posted sometimes foolishness and ridiculousness. But I'm just offering you, inviting you to reconsider that your posting and your commentary and, and, and your book writing and your poetic in, endeavors will outlive us for many generations. And so, you know, it, it, to quote the beloved Yama Van Zandt, be careful about how you tell your story. Be careful about how you tell your story. Be careful about telling your story as a victim. Be careful about telling your story uh, as just a survivor. Be careful about telling your story as, as someone who's sort of subjugated to someone's book writing, someone else's authorship. For indeed, if you don't author your own story, someone else will. A, a man or woman without a plan is always subject to someone else's plan. So understand that imagery, your data, your videos, your photograph, your posts are a telling and a retelling of your story. And there will be those who will attempt to rewrite our story, 
who attempt to reclarify our position as children uh, of the Middle Passage in, in our walk today. And so I honor and I acknowledge the journey of each and every one of you who listens, who participate, who show up for this podcast. But moreover, I honor and acknowledge your journey in reconnecting and reviving that which is already here. It's already in us. It's already in the DNA coding. It's already in the bloodline. It's showing up in your dreams. It's showing up in your intuitive uh, abilities. It's showing up in your gifts. It's showing up in your children. And indeed, that manifests, it reflects itself on our environment. So we can continue to create communities that mirror our best interests, that mirror the environments that we wish to see. We don't have to keep um, living in the past story that was written for us during the course of, of the Middle Passage. And certainly predating the Middle Passage, the, the Arab telling and retelling of our story, the European telling and retelling of our story, the American telling and, and, and retelling of our story, and getting greater control of our story, starting with who we are. And I invite you, if you haven't already done so, Get your DNA done. It's just too convenient of a chore to do in in 2022. Get your DNA results. I don't care what source you use. I invite you to use as many sources as possible to write and reconstruct your story in a way that's visible and tangible to you and subsequently to your family. No one in my family was as concerned about ancestry and DNA until I made that step, until I did it, until I posted it, until I published it, until I made it a deal. And, and certainly my mother followed suit, and my sister Wapani followed suit, and my sister Kimberly followed suit, and, and, and my uh, cousin Yvette uh, followed suit, and, and, and my cousin, uh, may he rest in, in, in uh, a room, Oloye made that journey, and we all sort of connected and then reconnected because of that information. People who weren't as concerned about Mother Africa or or Mother America or our ancestral and aboriginal background and certainly purpose did not become as concerned until someone made the effort to make that demonstration. If I'm charging you to be the person in your family to make the demonstration, I'm charging you and your brother or sister or your good friend or your favorite cousin to make that step and begin to take these tests. And the more people who contribute, the better. Oh, it's great to just do it for yourself or to do it for your household and think that your, your test somehow generically represents the entirety of your household, and and that's not factual. So mom and dad should take the test. Children should take the test. Grandparents from both sides of the family should take the test so that we can better understand our unique and specific bloodlines. I'm certainly grateful for your attention and your love and your support of of the podcast. I invite you to call me with your questions, comments, and requests at my new call-in number, area code 515-605-9718, 515-605-9718. And certainly you can share your 
sincere questions, comments, and requests with me by way of email at www.houseofthedivineprince.com forward slash contact hyphen us dot html. It's a direct link to email communication by way of my website. You can also email me directly at divine prince at house of the divine prince.com. And I will certainly respond expeditiously to your questions, comments, and concerns. Uh, ask Albie, ask the God's initiative, ask any of my God children in the room. Um, I'll respond um, expeditiously, personally, uh, empathetically, sympathetically, I respond to your questions, comments, and requests. I am a result-oriented practitioner. I know some of my uh, listeners who kind of wander in, you get lost in the history. The history is about building and rebuilding our story, a story that masses still negate, appropriate, deny, or lack any general awareness of. And so each podcast, each story, each bit of information is my recreating our story and how authentic voodoo made its way to the Americas, made its way into my family, made its way into my bloodline, made its way into many of your families and bloodlines that listen to me. Voodoo being an umbrella, authentic umbrella term, for Western, Central, South African spiritual practice and tradition that survived the Middle Passage. So I invite you to subscribe. I invite you to participate. I invite you to send me your questions or comments or requests. I invite you to become more active participants in the demonstration of this podcast at high noon, U.S. Central Standard Time. The opportunity to tell my story and to share and have production and lights and cameras and hair and makeup and all that good stuff, it's already happening and it's coming to a network near you uh, soon enough, <laughs> soon enough. So I like to share this space, reserve this space, this uh, virtual classroom, if you will, for the sharing and discussion of information that further legitimize the authenticity of our practice, that further legitimizes the authenticity of our practice, of our culture and tradition. It's not just wives' tales. It's not just some foggy memory of grandma. It's not just what book authors and entertainers create and recreate for the purpose of entertaining, but it is certainly authentic to our walk our tradition, to who we are as people, as individuals. So I'm certainly grateful to each and every one of you for your intention. Um, there's been a whole documentary being filmed right outside my door <laughs> while we've been doing this podcast of beloved baby doll, Merlene, and uh, beloved community leader and activist, uh, Sabrina Montana, right outside my door, uh, filming uh, you know, I'm crafty. I might film a vaccine B-roll at some point today. I, I don't know. I might. 
but it's a lot going on at Hoodoo Central LLC. It's a lot going on in the House of the Divine Prince. Certainly understand that if I appear virtually not to be present, I'm always present. And the work of the, the culture and performance and tradition and, and documenting of our story continues. There are many projects in the city right now that are attempting to tell our story, aware and unaware. Some of them think they operate in secret, but the king and leader of authentic voodoo knows everything voodoo that's going on in the world. Everything. <laughs> you can be sure of that. If it's happening, I'm aware. I have boots on the ground. I have ears on the ground. I have eyes on the ground. I have hands involved in the situation. And so there's nothing voodoo that happens in New Orleans. It does not happen um, under the watch of me and the mighty ancestors of whom showed us that I now stand to bring you the continuation of this truth, to bring you the continuation of this information. So I invite your continued support. I invite your continued uh, participation. I offer you to co-host with me and and be a part of this podcast. And certainly I accept your personal request by way of my website and by way of email. And I look forward to being with you in yours moving forward, understanding that all is true and indeed a blessing. You can just see beyond the bands. Until next time, I say, I shall, and I say. All is a blessing. Respect the voodoo. Whatever you do, respect the voodoo. All is a blessing. Y'all are getting too quiet for me. Y'all don't turn on the webcams no more. I, I might as well just do a lecture, do a teaching, read a book <laughs> for an hour, for two hours. Y'all are not participating. What's going on? Come on in. I'll see you next time. All is a blessing. Thank you, Blog Talk Radio. I certainly appreciate you and yours and those who actively listen during the live broadcast and, of course, those who actively participate um, during those podcasts. Certainly, I appreciate all of the listenership in archives. The listenership and archive for this podcast is overwhelming, uh, and I'm grateful, eternally grateful. Congo Square, y'all. Congo Square. Until next time. Congo Square. The Omus Indians, the Omus Indians prepared this place for us centuries before our arrival a sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. The almost Indians prepared this place for us. Centuries before our arrival. Congo Square, a sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. And as the colonizers came, our host, the almost Indians, They pushed aside our hosts. The colonizers came and pushed aside our hosts and introduced us in chains. And by the late 
1700s, we somehow recognizing the sacredness of Le Place de Congo, we somehow and the how of our somehow persuasive methodologies is not clear at this moment. The how is not clear. How our persuasive methodologies worked is not clear at this moment, but nevertheless, even as slaves, we crafted and created a space where we could be free to be we. And thusly, thusly we countered the sacrilegiousness of the French, giving great homage to our ancestors as well as giving praise and thanks to our red-blooded brothers and sisters. This is an oral libation toast to Congo Square, to Native Americans, to our ancestors who made a circle out of a square and gave us a way to stay ourselves Save ourselves from the transformatory ugliness of America, which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life, which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life and celebrates death with crosses and crosses, double and triple crosses, the middle passage, the first cross, Christianity, the double cross, and capitalism, the ultimate triple coup de gras cross of our captivity. But the terror of crosses notwithstanding, we sang, we beat, we be, we was and is, hail Congo Square, Congo, Congo Square. Our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated inside the beat of us. Inside the beat of us. Our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated, retreated inside the beat of us until we are ready to release them into a world that we recreate. A world harrowed by the beat. Be, beat, being, beating, being of black heart drums. Heart beat. Heart beat. Heart beat at this place. At this place. Be heart beat. Be we beating place in new world space. Beating, being in place in new world, preserving our ancient pace. Our dance is the God walk. Our music, the God talk. First thing we do, let's get together. Circle ourselves into community. No beginning, no end. Connected together and singing, ringing, Singing in a ring. Second, let's be original, aboriginal. Be what we were before we became what we are. Be bambula dance. Be bonza music. And sing song words which have 
No English translation. Third, let us remember. Let us remember never to forget. Even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. Let us remember never to forget. Even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. The bounce, the blood, flow, the feel, the spirit, grow, energy, must retain and pass on the essential us-ness that others want to dissipate, whip out of us. But no matter, no matter how much of us they prohibit, no matter how much of us they prohibit, Deep inside us is us. Deep inside us is us. Remains us inside and needs only the beat to set us free. The beat to free us. It is morning. A sun day. A feel. A feel. Without shade, but dark. Dark with the people black of us in various, various, various shades. Eclipsing the sun with our elegance. We are centuries later now, and still this sacred ground calls us. To remember, to beat, to be, we are centuries later now, and still this sacred ground calls us to remember, to beat. Beat Congo Square. Be Congo Square. Beat Be. Remember. Remember. 